Close your eyes, leave all your troubles behind. Yes, it's fine. Come kick it with me in my imagination. In my imagination. Well, sometimes my mind plays these tricks on me. Sometimes and I find that my Welcome to episode 102 of Eat, Sleep, Run, Repeat. The running podcast for the average runner. Myself, Woolly, Nathan Barden, yep. session. And uh, we've got a guy joining us who's definitely not an average runner. Um, elite runner, distance runner, marathoner, Pat Tiernan. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Uh, thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah, welcome, mate. It's great to to have you um, on. I was actually talking with um, Brenton. Who sort of like runs uh, one of the, the Morton Bay Road Runners, and he I said, "Oh, we got we got Pat on the next uh, podcast," and he was like, "Oh wow, how how'd you get Pat on?" I said, "Oh, you know, just we just got lucky." <laughs> <laughs> but no, thanks for thanks for finding time to to come on. And uh, but you're not based in Australia now, are you? Where are you uh, in the world now, Pat? Yes, I'm based in North Carolina in the US. Um, so I've I've been based in the US for about. Uh, Better part of ten years now. Yeah, I came over in twenty thirteen for for university, and then um, things went well. Stayed over, met my wife here, um, and yeah, ultimately this is this is where we've we've set up home for for running for the um, for the foreseeable future. Do you um do you prefer the lifestyle, or is it because of the running as well that it just is more competitive there, and uh, you're a lot lot more accessible to races is that probably why i think initially yeah like when i when i first finished up at uni which would have been um in the 2016 i i still felt like i had um some work to do with my with my college coach at the time um and so yeah it was definitely easier for me to stay over here as far as training goes but then um yeah like you said at the time there was easier access to competitive races um a lot shorter travel to Europe for those races as well. Like I didn't have to base in Europe necessarily for the three or four months that a lot of other Aussie distance runners have to do. Um, I could do shorter trips and come home and whatnot. So that was that was kind of initially the purpose. And then um, yeah, like I said, then then I got married and and have a, you know met a lot of a lot of friends in my twenties over here and. Um, you know, Angel's family's based over here as well. So it's kind of just now where, where my life is. Um, cause you know, I think there's a lot of competitive running in Australia now, which is fantastic. So I can't really say it's, it's because of the running necessarily, but more so just because, um, you know, I got a lot of good opportunities over here when I was younger and, and I've, I'd like to think I made the most of those and have now set myself up well, uh, over here to, to continue doing what I'm doing. So North Carolina, like for the for the ignorant of us, whereabouts? If you looked at a map of the US, whereabouts does it sit? Yeah, so it's about um, I want to say about halfway. Yeah, right, right, sort of on the halfway line on the east coast. Um, yeah, so it's it's getting Cold down right where now? it's warmer. Uh, today, but today was pretty hot actually. For like we're in the middle of winter, but today I think yeah. it was getting up into the low twenties, which was crazy. Um, yeah. But yeah, but usually it's been cold the last month or so. Like we've been having temperatures down, um, you know, down below freezing and, and things like that, which is pretty standard for a winter in the US. But um, but no, in the summer it'll get it'll get pretty hot. It's similar to um, 
similar to Brisbane where you get that, you know, those hot days and the humidity comes in and it's just hard to kind of escape it. So, um, but yeah, so, but no, for about six, seven months of the year, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to train. Um, and then the times that, you know, those other five months we're usually out and about racing and, and whatnot. So we're not, not really here a whole lot then. Do you go anywhere to do any altitude training? Um, I have. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been to a few places over here. I, I, um, first place I went um, before I was with the Puma group was in Flagstaff and that was um, that was good. You know, I think just to experience it, I feel like over here that's kind of the big, the big spot for professional runners. Like there's a lot of professional groups there and a lot of Europeans come over to train there and stuff like that. But no, since then we've been to been to some other places as well. We went to Mammoth Lakes a couple of times in California, which is um, up at about seven thousand feet. I'm not sure what the conversion to meters is, but that's, that's about pretty two and high. A half um, yeah, two, yeah, two, yeah. Two. yeah, yeah. So, um, so I did a couple of stints up there, um, but this most recent I haven't gone to altitude since. 2022 so this most recent build-up i stuck here stayed at home and just made sure i was getting things um kind of going back to basics and getting getting things back on track yeah but you grew up in um toowoomba interestingly enough um that's pretty gets pretty cold out that way during the winter hey yeah yeah no it's uh I try, I try convincing my wife that it gets, gets cold in Toowoomba, but she's from Pittsburgh where it gets, I think last Christmas, it was about negative 20 degrees Celsius there. So, uh, she's not convinced that we actually have a, have a cold winter, but, uh, but no, I, I remember doing, you know, going out and running in the winter and running in trackies and, uh, those little fleece jumpers that you get for the regional teams and stuff like that and not, not get too hot. So, um, yeah, no, it it was. I remember it being cold. Um, I don't know if it's the same cold that I experience now, but it, it was cold at the time. Yeah. So is that that where you started running? Like, can you talk us through a bit of your junior career? Like, I think it's always interesting to know when you talk to some elite runners, they they didn't really do much as a junior, and then others were running sort of a elite level from the ages of ten upwards. What was your like junior career like? Yeah, so I started running. Um, started running when I was about eight, I think. But oh, wow. it was um, the reason I started running was because uh, my coach through high school was actually my math teacher in grade four, and so um, I don't know what the case is now. But I, when I was growing up, the first time you could run cross country in school was in grade four, and so. Um, he was obviously a, a you know passionate runner um, in his day and, and coached outside of school. I didn't know about that at the time, but um, so then he he basically put on these little you know training sessions in the mornings before school, and it was like you know once or twice a week where you'd come and run a couple of laps around the oval and start your day, sort of thing. Very very basic, nothing too structured or anything like that, and. Um, I was just a sport nut as a kid. Like I loved playing cricket. I played soccer. I played tennis. Like I tried my hand at anything. So when uh, when the opportunity came up to run cross country, and you know there was a, a sport training session before school, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's jump in. And um, yeah, so I went and did that, and then ran the school cross country, and uh, I won it, which was surprising because I'd, I'd always kind of finished 
mid pack in the sprints. So I wasn't didn't have that kind of that nippy sort of toe to me then. So um, not that I not that I have it now, but um, but yeah. So I I won the school cross country and um, yeah, Tom who was who was my high school coach in the end was kind of looked at that and said, "Oh, do you want to come and participate in our club training outside of school?" And so I talked to mum and dad about it and. They're like, yeah, it could be good. Like, it's something else for you to do in the afternoons. And so we met, it was three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And uh, we'd come and it was great. Like, our warm-ups, we'd play tag or we'd play touch footy or, you know, just little games. And then we'd go out and do some sort of very small structured training session. Like, it was very low mileage. Um, Nothing too serious type thing. Yeah, like, you could run all out sort of thing and it wouldn't kill you. Um, you know, so that was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, I'd have cricket practice, Saturday, I'd play cricket, Sunday, I'd probably play cricket, and then, um, yeah, started over. And I just loved it because, like I said, I just I loved sport as a kid. And my brother, who was four years younger than me, he loved sport as well. So we were just, um, we just tried our hand at anything. And, um, yes, yeah, so ultimately, I, I did that and was lucky enough to make some regional teams and state teams and, and go to junior nationals and things like that. Um, but, uh, but I always wanted to play cricket as a kid. I don't know. I, I like knew I was better at running, but I, I couldn't quite accept the fact that I wasn't going to play cricket for Australia. So um, it took me right up until I was 18, I think, when I got, a, got an email from the assistant coach at Villanova University over here in the US at the time asking if I wanted to come over and run for the university and study and basically get a full ride scholarship and um, you know I talked to my parents about it and we decided that was you know ultimately it was going to be beneficial for me regardless of whether I wanted to run professionally or not um, you know you, you can't pass up a, a free degree essentially in that sense especially seeing as I wanted to go to university and uh, whatnot. So, um, yeah, so I had to, had to kind of give up on my dream of playing cricket at any level past, past Toowoomba cricket at, uh, at that age. Um, but no, but, uh, honestly, I, I loved running. Um, and I think that was a big part of why I, I'm still doing it now is because as a kid, like I said, it was just fun. Like we'd, there wasn't too much pressure on it. Um, you know, maybe when I got to like four, 13, 14, when we were in high school, you'd start doing a, I don't know, maybe a third, like a 4K run on like days that you weren't meeting for training sort of thing. Um, but, you know, at the time I thought like, you know, my, my dad would jump in with me sometimes and, and do runs that, you know, he might run shorter or, you know, just help out where he could sort of thing and, and race me a little bit, which always added a bit of um, – you know, sometimes there were tears at the end of the run, but but most days it was fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was it was just good. I had I had very good um, people in my life growing up, and and Tom Bradbury was was the main one who kept running, um, you know, fun and interesting for me. And my parents definitely, you know, travelling with me and letting me go to all these different meets and meet people, and and you know, I still have a lot of friends from high school or from you know my childhood that through running and whatnot um so yeah it was just it was just another sport that, that wasn't taken super seriously until 
really until you know the year or two before my first Olympics. Um, so yeah, so no, I'll always always be very grateful for my my introduction to running in Toowoomba, and I think it could have gone very differently if I maybe went to a you know a GPS school or um, you know was down in in Melbourne maybe where it's a bit more serious from a younger age or things like that. But um, but yeah, it was for me personally. I I don't think I would have still been in it if I didn't have those those people around me and introduced to me that way. Yeah, so important. I've I've got young boys. They're naturally good at sport, and it's so tempting to kind of like try and pressure them into doing one thing or the other. But I just have to like just let them do what they want to do. You know, yeah. as soon as you start pressuring them, it's just yeah, it's pointless. They're so just kids. Let them be kids. I reckon. Yeah, yeah, and my I think I remember more so with my dad because I like you know at the time I thought it was maybe a bit mean but looking back and I'm like no it wasn't it was like good for me in the sense that he would push me to do things but after I'd agreed after I'd signed up for it basically so like like if I'd if I'd wanted to go to national cross country and run for Queensland sort of thing like they'd sort of ask me essentially you agree to like do that as a kid and so then you know when there's days where you don't want to go out for a 20 or 30 minute run he'd be like no you'd like this is something yeah, that you've signed what up you to signed do up you've got to go do yeah. it exactly yeah and so at the time you know you think that's like just leave me alone like I'm, i'll just do it when it's fun sort of thing but it, i think there's valuable lessons in that and i think my my parents especially my dad did a very good job at like knowing when to like knowing how to draw that line and know when to give me the idea of like right this is now a responsibility of yours rather than i'm forcing this on you um so yes, yeah, so like I said, I just I was very fortunate to have very good people when I was younger um, surround me in the sport and uh, yeah, let me let me kind of grow how I needed to grow with it. There's a couple of things I've picked up on there, uh, and I think are important. There, the uh, first one is that sometimes you find like um, people like yourself are good at two sports, and then you sort of have to make a decision. Like my older brother, he was a good runner. And he was a really good soccer player too. But he at that point of like, which one does he does he choose? And he chose the running. And I think it happens to like my brother's two boys. They're good runners, but they're good at soccer as well. But my brother doesn't put too much pressure on him to go. Oh, you got to go for a run tonight. Oh, you got to run. You got to you know. He just says, I don't want to go for a run because they're only like was ten and eight. Yeah, you know, there's plenty of time to get serious. Just to, you know, and otherwise, then I think you learn. You sort of. You start to resent it. You go, oh, I've got to go for a yeah. run. My dad's making me do this. I don't want to do it. You know, and you don't want them to be resentful, but you want them to do it because you enjoy doing it. Like, like there's no pressure on me to have to go and run, but I run and do no, that yeah. in this heap because you enjoy it. You know, so I think yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that there's a couple of things I picked up on there that you um you said, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and and like just to second you there, like it is. That's what, that's what I mean. There's like there's like finding that line of where, you know, as a parent, am I am I forcing this on my kid or am I now like is this kind of a learning curve for them where it's like, all right, you this is the thing that you've signed up for now and this is this is the responsibilities that come with it, which, you know, at the end of the day, you you know, you can have a job at fourteen, you know, and job jobs have responsibilities and stuff like that and you've you've essentially signed up for that job. But like you said, as a nine or ten year old there's no way you're getting 
you know, if you're signing up for it, I mean, they don't know what they're signing up for as a nine or 10 year old, but yeah. they're signed like the cricket. I'm signing up to hit a six. I don't know what is actually, you know, what's actually involved to like go and go and do that. I'm just signing up because I've seen someone do it on TV and I want to do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so no, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to, like you said, it's, it's kind of hard to see sometimes, um, or hard to talk to parents about stuff like that because I just want to say like, just let your kids be kids and try things and, and stuff like that. But the, I know that in the world now, like it's it's very different to what it was 20 years ago and there might be pressure on mm-hmm. 9 or 10-year-olds. And especially in the States, there's pressure to get college scholarships and, you know, specialise in certain sports at a very young age and things like that. So it's um, it's a different world. But, yeah, I think ideally you'd, you'd kind of have that environment where, kids are essentially deciding what they want to do through trying stuff and not being... You're lost. It's not almost like parents are pushing it on their kid because they didn't succeed, so they want their kids to succeed and it's their, you know, it's uh, yeah. it's sort of trying to live through their kids. Um, yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely, definitely elements of that and I think there's also elements of things that they maybe feel like are being pushed on them. I think there's there are some instances where parents feel like they don't have a have a choice it sounds weird but i think there are instances like that now as well so it's um mm. yeah it's it's tough but um yeah ultimately i i got very lucky and I'll, I'll always be kind of thankful for that and thankful that that's still still my parents and my, my coach's mindset so yeah so pat when would you say your like major breakthrough was would like i've been um doing a bit of studying on you online and you won the NTAA cross country champs in 2016. Was that like a big breakthrough for you, or did you have a few breakthrough races before that? I think winning winning NCAA cross country was a, that was definitely a big breakthrough for me in the sense that that was that was probably the first really mm-hmm. big result that would have put me on a um, on the same level as a lot of professionals in Australia. I think, but I'd I'd had kind of races throughout like little milestones i'd say looking back on it throughout like i won a i won a couple of junior cross-country titles in australia when i was uh, 17 and 18 and i guess those were kind of little breakthroughs for me that got me to villanova in the first place and so then when i got to villanova a couple of years in i ran a, a really big 5k pv i finished um I think it was like 13.30 something. Like it was the first time I'd gone under 14 minutes and I've I've done it by a lot sort of thing. Um, So that was a little breakthrough. Um, But, yeah, definitely it's funny because NCAA cross happened after my first Olympics. So like – Oh, okay. Shit, okay. Yeah, so it's one of those – but like to me the Olympics wasn't as big of a – breakthrough result is that cross-country race just because I, I felt like I'd learned from the Olympics and applied it to that race and that was kind of the first time where I was like I feel like I've kind of arrived as the athlete that I want to be but yeah but like the Olympics was another little break so I think there were just a lot of little breakthrough results for me that added up to ultimately that one bigger one and then I'd say ultimately probably the same process from that cross-country race to honestly to to this uh another two weeks ago in, uh, in houston um you know i had a lot of little breakthrough results and and even you know i ran a 
national 10,000 metre record three and a half years ago now. And even at the time, that just felt like a little step forward to where I was before sort of thing. Um, whereas this one feels like a, a big kind of jump for me in getting to that next sort of level where I'm ready to compete at the Olympics rather than just being one of the crowd sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, so the big moments definitely NCAA cross. And honestly, like last Olympics, even though it didn't go as well, um, I'm sure we'll get into it later on, but that was a moment that kind of was a big milestone for me. And then, yeah, Houston Marathon two weeks ago was was probably the third one over the last last eight years that have been big, big milestones for me. Oh, I mean, there's so many things we could talk about here, but we're just on limited time. <laughs> but how do you, because this, I think, be be good for our listeners who are like chasing marathon times and, and PBs and that, like I, I was saying, um, actually to all the boys like to push yourself to the point of collapsing like you did at uh, tokyo like is there anything that you do to make yourself so mentally strong um it's probably a difficult question to answer but like how do you push did that creep up on you like you just didn't know it was happening or did you think you were sort of going in straight and and just your legs or yeah it comes on quick um like it's I'd say it comes on quick, like it's happened a, a number of times, but it's um, it's only really happened that one time uh, properly where, like I've had races where I've had kind of jelly legs at the end and like maybe not finished as strong as I would have liked and the last lap's maybe been a little ugly, but not ugly like that, just ugly in the sense that I've faded. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a hard thing to – I don't know whether it's necessarily – I wouldn't describe it as mentally strong. I would I would describe it as like you're a little mentally disoriented at that point, I guess, because you've pushed your body to a physical limit trying to chase something that you want so bad. Mm-hmm. And so at that point you kind of start to forget or ignore the senses in your body. And so now that I've had time to reflect on it properly and, and look back on it, there were definitely little signs in the last, honestly, probably throughout the second half of the race that I could look back on and be like, all right, I, I was probably working too hard at that point and I like did something that I shouldn't have done there. Um, and you so went like the full David that, Goggins, didn't you? <laughs> you must have yeah, just gone yeah. full, like, yeah, yeah just ignore, yeah. ignore my body, like ignore I, my mind. Like, just... and. And that's the thing. Like, I think that's that's the trap that a lot of people can fall into is when you when you put so much emphasis on one thing, like whether it be sport, you know, a, a, any other sort of career or anything like that. Like, when you put so much emphasis on one thing, you just get you get blinders on. You know, like you're, you're like a horse in the sense that you are just in front of you and nothing. You don't care about what else is happening. Um, and so, when you focus so entirely on like i've been training for these olympics for four years now and then it was would have been five years because they postponed it yeah and so you're like i've trained so hard to get this one result i'm not going to let the little shit that pops up on the day affect that like i've 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 done everything that i've needed to do now i'm here i'm not going to let anything kind of get away of that and so when you have those little senses where like you know you're working a bit harder than you should be and you know you're working a bit harder than you should be. You just put it through the back of your mind because you're like, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, 
just is what it is. And I think that mentality is healthy in some aspects, you know, if you've got like, you know, like in like the marathon I just ran, there's moments where like my legs got a little bit heavy and I was like, it's all right. It doesn't like, that's okay. You, you, but I, I was like prepared for that. Like I knew that was going to happen at some point, just didn't know when sort of thing. Whereas it's things that you know are detrimental. Like I knew my legs were getting lactic with three laps to go and that you don't want your legs lactic with three laps to go because the race has barely started in a 10K, you know. Um, like they really start to wind it up. And so if I'm getting lactic and I'm working to, working really hard to keep up with them, looking back on it, I should have been like, all right, I've got I got to back off and race where I am right now, you know. Your like, own race. I can't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I can't go with them right now. Like my body is just not letting me do it. So looking back, I should have been like, yeah, like, all right, let's look around where I am. Let's try and get your best result that you can. But there was just that, like I said, those blinders on that said, no, that's that's the race you've been training for. That's what you're going to go with. And so I put everything into that second last lap. And then coming down the home straight, my body just said, we're done. Like yeah. that was it. That was that was that was your last lap gone, and you, now you're going to try and run another one. It's like no, no fucking way. That's not happening. So yeah, so that's that's kind of like I said. I don't think it's being mentally strong. I think it's just being mentally disoriented with what's actually happening to you, um, and honestly, being not being stupid, but just being a little closed-minded with. Did you miss the signs or did you? Because I'm like, I'm a type one diabetic and sometimes you have a hypo, a low blood sugar and you miss the signs, but sometimes you get them, but you just ignore them. You go, oh, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll be a few more minutes and I'll be able to get something. I've just got to do this. Um, and you, you yeah. sort of push it off. And then all of a sudden it's like, then it's like, oh shit, I'm really in, in trouble. So was it like you well, just ignored it or did you, do you think you might have missed them? A bit of both. I think it was a com- combination. I think I ignored them, but I didn't fully understand them. Um, so like they were there and like in my head, I was like, that's not great, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that I thought at the time was like, I'm, I know I'm going to cook myself. It was more so like, I know I'm not in great shape, but let's just see how it goes. I think. And like, like I said, I was just like, I wasn't going to say no, essentially, because that was what I was focused on doing. Yeah. So, uh. Yeah, I mean, there's not, not really too much else to say other than, yeah, I just, I, I did ignore them, but I didn't fully understand the consequences that were going to come with that. Well, that was the final? Yeah, yeah, just they just have a straight final for the 10K, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But when you, yeah. when you finished, like you managed to kind of walk off the track, what happened next? Did you collapse or? Yeah, they took me, um, I didn't collapse, I, I was like, up and well, they, they got me down on a stretcher, and essentially, um, my body temperature they measured my body temperature because they were concerned about that because I just looked terrible. And so, I think my uh, body temperature was about 41 degrees Celsius, and I think you, you meant to be around 37. Um, 37 and 40, mm. yeah, 42 is heat stroke, so they were very concerned about me getting above that. So essentially they took me under the grandstand and um, I was just covered in like wet towels and they were giving me, you know, feeding me little drinks and stuff like that. And it was um, it was a crazy little period because of the Olympics that it was, there weren't many people in the room. 
so I didn't, my coach couldn't come in, my agent couldn't come in, my wife wasn't there. She was sitting back at home in our apartment and she just watched all of that unfold and seen me get taken off the track and was trying to get in touch with someone, but the people she could get in touch with couldn't see me. So we had the Australian team doctor, which was which I was very grateful for because it's also everyone dealing with me spoke Japanese and broken English. So, you know, Japanese, I, I don't know a single word of Japanese is sober, you know, and, and in that case I was, you know, I may as well have been walking out at 2 a.m. from a pub at that point. So, um, you know, it was, yeah, it was just a confusing little moment where they're trying to bring my body temperature down and get me healthy and I'm also trying to process what happened in the sense of like that just blew up in my face like that's the thing I've been training for for five years and that we, is not how I wanted that to go we might just paint the picture but we might have skipped it but uh we're talking about the Tokyo 2021 Olympics which was meant to be 2020 but because of COVID it was 21 there was no one in the stadium to watch and I remember watching on TV there's like they were playing that like people cheering to make it sound like yeah. there was a crowd, but there wasn't. So, and it was so hot and humid, wasn't it? It was just ridiculous. And I think a lot of the athletes yeah. were doing ice baths before getting out on the track to just keep them cool. Did you go through that process as well? Or? We, had, we had a nice vest on while I was warming up and, and doing everything like that. And, um, you know, looking back on that, even like I probably should have kept the ice vest on right up until the gun went off. Um, and just trying to chuck it to the side, but you know that's all. That's all twenty twenty hindsight right now. So, nice. um, but yeah. So no, it was just a, a very strange thing and a very a very tough situation to be in to then have to kind of process everything that had just happened. So yeah, I, it, it was definitely not the Olympics that I wanted. Not that you want that to happen when there is when all those people are there like you don't you don't want to have that race in front of those people but you also would rather have those people close to you afterwards than um you know halfway across the world sort of thing did did you when you were taken in like to to medical or whatever did you did you know that you'd finish the race or were you just not quite yeah. sure what was going on yeah yeah no i know i'd finished i know i'd finished the race i didn't know where i'd finished um but i knew it wasn't where i wanted to finish and i knew it was a long way from that so yeah no i i knew like i can remember everything and, and i i was aware of what was happening when it happened but yeah it, it um it was just a like i couldn't really let the emotions of it set in until that point because you know i, I couldn't I couldn't let them sink in while I was running because I was fighting, <laughs> fighting to get to the finish line. And um, I couldn't really let them sink in immediately after the finish line because they were trying to rush me under to take care of me. Sort of thing. So I'm it wasn't smart. until I was, yeah, so it wasn't until I was laying there sort of just with trying to stay still and they're trying to bring my body temperature down. Was that the was big issue? To, like, think of was, it. It, was your body, yeah, body temperature the issue? Like just overheating? Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. Just overheated. And so, um, yeah, I mean, nothing, I, don't, I don't think it, like, there wasn't a secret session that we missed in the build-up. It wasn't anything like that. I think if anything, um, you know, maybe maybe we miscalculated the cooling techniques um, that we did. You know, I'm, I'm a bigger athlete in my event. Like, I'm 67, 68 huh? kilos. I'm uh, 189 centimetres, metre 89. So like six three, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, most of most of the guys in my events are 
you know, 60 kilos or under and, you know, not quite, yeah. like, definitely under six foot. So, yeah. you know, maybe there's the possibility that all the research that we did on pooling and, and things like that may be tailored to athletes of that that sort of build and so maybe we, we miscalculated there. Kind of weird um, to, like, look back on. The weird thing for me is that they didn't have any water or anything out on the track for the race. Like I, I would have thought that that would have been something that would have been included. Because they can um, do it, can't they? They there. can have water for a ten k, uh, if the if the the conditions. Um, I, I think I was reading in the in the rules that you can have. There can be water for a ten k if if there's uh, if the conditions deem it necessary. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Because because I've seen ten k's where they've had water since. Yeah. And, it, and it, I guarantee it wasn't as hot and humid as it was then. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. It's um, it, it was just kind of weird, and and you know, it, once again, that's a that's something you look back on, and and I can, it's easy for me to say now that I would have taken water, but in you know, when you're getting down to those last few laps or something like that, you're not necessarily thinking about going and grabbing water. You're thinking about racing. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't know how much would have gone differently um as far as our preparation i think maybe it was just like we were talking about before where i just needed to listen to my body a little better and, and kind of acknowledge more so that like all right today is not the day that you are going to medal at the olympics you know today could be the day where you get your best result at the olympics but it, it's just not going to be what you thought it was going to be and what was your recovery like afterwards so how long did it take before you sort of thought right okay we're good to leave now going shower and everything else like immediately after the race, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. How long was that? Uh, it was a while. Like I think it is. I'd, I'd have to ask the Athletics Australia doc exactly how long it was, but I think we were down there for the better part of an hour. And then, you know, then we came back and out of the stadium to the warm-up track and um, then you're getting on the team bus and getting back to the um, village and things like that. And, you know, it's it's – there's nothing you can do about it because people are, you know, when you feel sorry for someone or you know that somebody hasn't had the result they've had, it's always an awkward, awkward little pity party, you know, and, and that's, you know, I would do the exact same sort of thing, but it's just, it's the last thing you want is kind of walking into a, walking into a hotel where everybody knows what's happened to you and they know that it wasn't what you wanted to happen. And it's, um, no, it, it was it was weird. Like everyone, nobody did anything wrong. Um, like everyone handled the situation as best as they possibly could have, and was and was super helpful. It was just one of those situations where nothing was really gonna make me feel any better about how it went. Um, but yeah, so it was it was a it was a long night. But um, but yeah, but we got through it, and you know, unfortunately, I wasn't able to line up for the five k four or five days later. Um, but you know, that's, that's just how it went. And, um, yeah, in the moment it was very hard, but I've, I've learned a lot of valuable things from it. And I think ultimately I've, I've become a better athlete because of it. Well, you've bounced back pretty quickly. You've just run the Olympic qualifying time for the marathon, 207.45. I think the qualifying time's just over 208. Is that correct? 208.10, isn't it? I think. Yeah, 208.10. 208, 10, yeah. So congratulations on that, man. That's the second fastest of the uh, Aussie guys. So, I mean, you'd have to be pretty confident to think you've 
got on the team or are you still up in the air about that? Yeah, no, I feel, I feel pretty good about that. Like we're, we're going to prepare for the Olympics now. You know, I've essentially done everything I can to be selected for the team. Um, I think it would, you know, it would take two very good runs to knock me out uh, of, of Olympic selection in the next three months, I think. Um, you got to the end so of March. Yes, and I, what was that, sorry? I think you got uh, to the end of April or March, is it, to get the time? Yeah, yeah, I think it's the end of April people have to qualify. So, um, but yeah, like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to go out and run another one between now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just going to prepare as if, as if that's, that's what's going to happen. And yeah, because that, that's ultimately how I'm going to have my best day in Paris, you know, given selection is if I start, start the preparations for that now. What made you want to go from, say, going for the 10K again and then going for the marathon? Yeah. So, um, I think the marathon's always something that I've known would be my event. It was just a matter of when I was ready to give it a crack. But I think, you know, the way the 10K is running at the moment, you need to be able to run 2640. You need to be able to close your last 1600 in under four minutes, and you need to be able to run your last lap in 52, 53 seconds. Insane. I have not done one of those things, you know. Whereas the marathon, realistically, at the Olympics, you know, obviously it's very fast now. A lot of things have changed in the last, you know, since the last Olympics as far as expectations with marathon times and whatnot. But historically, it's been one somewhere between 205 and 208. And it's not so much closing your last 400, your last mile, it's closing your last 10K in 28 something. And, you know, I'm, I'm a long way off being able to do that right now. But to me, that feels like something that's that feels more realistic because I've run 27.20 for 10K. You know, I've at least done that. And now I've run under 208 for the marathon. So I've kind of I've ticked one box as far as the time that it's usually one in. And now it's a matter of like, all right, I've kind of I've half ticked the other box in the sense that I've at least done, you know, whereas my... Like my mile PB is three fifty six, and they're closing in three fifty seven. My four hundred PB is like fifty three, and they're closing in fifty one, fifty two. You know, so it's like this is something that just when I'm looking at it on paper, and when I'm looking at how the races play out, this is just a race where I feel like if I can get the training right, and I can get you know all my ducks in a row and whatnot, I feel like I could give myself a shot on the day. Well, I mean, you're one of a handful of people in the world to ever go to the Olympics and compete, you know, like it's one thing getting there, but then being able to actually, you know, get picked, but actually put your foot on the track. And I think with individual sports, it is so much harder not to take anything away from team sports, but say if you're the soccer team, you've got sort of like a, there's, there's uh there's 11 of you going in the team, but with athletics, you, it's just down to you and you alone, you know, as an individual yeah. sport. And it's just so much, I think, it, you know, it's the, um, you know, the, the training and everything, the dedication that yeah, you have to put in to get, even just to get selected to go to the Olympics is, you know, my older brother was a very good athlete, but he just, um, you know, he was well, the best in the country, but just could not get that qualifying time for the 10K um, to get, yeah. or 5K to get to the Olympics. So, like, full credit to be able to even get to the Olympics. I think people don't, people sit and watch it on TV and go, oh, yeah, you know, give it, you know, armchair critics but don't realize that what actually goes in 
just to get there at, to the start line. Yeah, and so that that's kind of where I feel like I'm at in my career is that I've, I've been to two Olympics now and the first one was, you know, it was my Olympics was qualifying sort of thing. Like Rio? Once I got there, the result didn't really matter. Rio, was that uh, your first? Yeah, 2016, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the 5K. And then Tokyo, I felt like I was ready to compete. And, um, you know, I, I did compete. You know, I was proud of the way I ran and, and whatnot. And, you know, there were just... I just wasn't where I thought I was or where I quite needed to be to do that. And so, yeah, so now, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to hopefully be getting my third third go around at at this race, even though it's the third, you know, it's a it's another different distance. It's still, for me, like the same event in the sense that I'm going there to compete again, but this time I'm going to make sure that, you know, we're, we're doing all the things necessary to be ready to compete. Um, talk us through the... The Houston Marathon. Like, did you have any any spooky moments? Like, what, did it all go pretty smoothly? Um, yeah, I think there were a few things that like weren't weren't ideal. I would say, like, it was it was pretty windy when we were warming up, and that's that's never a it's never something you want when you're trying to run a run a fast race that's over two hours long. But uh, yeah, but ultimately, you know, I was able to shut that down pretty quickly in my head because I was like, all right, you've done done other races where you weren't trying to run fast and you did run fast and they were windy, so just uh, the wind's not going to be a factor for you. The paces were a little quicker, you know, than they said they were going to go and they went a little shorter than they said they were going to go. So, you know, that that is another thing that's not ideal. Like if you have someone who's saying they're going to take you to 25K in 208 pace, you know, I think one of them, the first guy dropped out maybe 12K in and the other guy dropped out at 22. But the guy that dropped out at 22 was going 207 pace. Which, you know, on the track, I think that's fine. Like if there was a pace that was slightly faster than what I was asking for, I'd be okay with it because so you've got a shorter way to blow up basically. But, yeah, something we'd really, me and my coach had really talked about going into it was like just stay just stay patient through the first half. You know, don't don't get overexcited. It's a long way. So yeah, so not not really any super um, panic moments. I would say just little moments where you know I just had to mentally be like, all right, it's didn't go exactly how you want it to go, but you're okay. Like you're ready for it. You can you can sort this out. You can manage it. And yeah, I'd say ultimately that would be my summary of of Houston. Is that any there were a bunch of little things that popped up here and there, but they weren't a big deal, and I was able to manage them fairly well. Um, you know, like my legs got a little heavy at halfway, which could have easily turned into a big panic moment and whatnot, but I was able to process it for what it was. Like we'd had that feeling in training, and so I'd, I'd been able to work through it in training, so I was like, you can work through it here. And, yeah, and ultimately, you know, it came on like my legs got you know they were just rocks by about 36k i think but at that point you know at that point it was more so i was saying look if you don't do it today you got to come back out in two months and try again or if you don't do it if you can't do it in the marathon you got to go run sub 27 and try to fix whatever happened in tokyo in that event so i was like just suck it up for the last 6k and, and just work through it but yeah so no it, it was um yeah definitely overcoming a bunch of little mental battles in your head for the for the two and a bit hours but 
it was kind of nice because for the first hour and a half, it, it kind of distracts you from the fact that you're running so far and you're trying to run at a pretty decent clip the whole way. Did, um, I haven't watched the marathon. I haven't watched the end, so apologies. Um, was there a little group of you together up until fairly, you know, near the finish? No, I was... Because um, the times, you're all very I close. My own, I was on my own for a lot of it. Um, okay. So like I said, the, the pace group, I was with the pace group through about 12K after right around when that first pacer dropped out. Um, and then when he dropped out, the other pacer kind of injected a bit of pace into the group. And so basically there was a small group of guys that went with it. Then there was me and one other guy who hung back a little bit and then the rest of them dropped off. So, yeah, so I was with that one guy maybe for another 2K and then he dropped off and then essentially I was chasing the pace group and then slowly I kind of picked off a bunch of them. But the guy who ended up winning the race was in that pace group. Um, So I kind of just followed him at a distance for a long part of the race picked off people along the way but uh but yeah most of most of the race was was solo so um mm. but that was okay like all a lot of my sessions i'd done either with one training partner or or on my own so i was i was very familiar with the pace that i needed to run and like i said it was kind of it was a bunch of little mental things and and sort of self-reassurance and whatnot throughout the race that, that helped me along so it's it's easy it's easier to do that i think when you're when you're kind of doing your own thing and able to listen to your body a little better. What was your um, average pace to run that 207? I think it, I think it was three, it was 453 miles. So I think that's about 301, 302 Ks. It's just nuts that you can just run that pace for two hours. <laughs> it's insane. Eh? For, for us, just normal people, that's just the sprint. You got to yeah, be tough it's... to just maintain that. Eh? Yeah. I mean, it's just, you get, it, a lot of the training is just getting so comfortable at that pace that it just becomes kind of second nature to to go out and do it sort of thing. So, um, so we did a lot of work, you know, at the end of some long runs trying to hit that pace, and then when we did longer stuff on the track, we'd run a little bit quicker so that that three hundred two pace kind of felt easier or more comfortable. Um, so yeah, it's but no, it's it's still. Um, it's still, like you said, it, it is a decent clip, and and um, yeah, it's 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 tough to kind of then mentally think of how fast the guys who are running those two hundred ones, two hundred twos. That's that's kind of the next next mental barrier to get through. Mate, what's a big marathon session that you did in preparation for that race? Yes, I would say the biggest one we would do in a in a typical marathon build up is a um we we do it in miles over here, so it's an eighteen mile run, but that's about I think twenty nine or thirty k. Yeah. Um, and essentially we break it up into six mile or ten k segments, and the the goal essentially is for that last segment to be quicker than marathon pace, so just under. So if we if our goal marathon pace is 453 or 301, 302s. We'd be looking to kind of get anywhere from 258 down to 250 pace in that last that last 10k there. So um but yeah, but the first the first 10k is is a good probably like 40 to 45 seconds slower per K. 
So we were running maybe, oh, maybe not that much, but probably running closer to like 325s, I would say, for that first, 325 to 328 for the first section. Then the next section is essentially the goal of that isn't the pace, but more so just to get your legs tired so that you can simulate a bit of what the last 15K of the marathon is going to feel like in the, in the last section. So we I think the pace we were running maybe for that was 3.15 down to 3.08, 3.07 per K. And then, yeah, like I said, that last 10K is essentially just Blow this out. is what the last... 15k of the marathon is going to feel like so um the goal is like try not to get essentially the goal there is to not get comfortable because our coach always says like when your legs start to give out if you try to find comfort you're just going to go backwards it's kind of figuring out how to push through that discomfort and realize that your legs aren't lactic they're just heavy um, and your aerobic system's fit enough, like you, you're fit enough to do it. It's just a matter of can you mentally overcome the heaviness that your legs are going through. And so that that's kind of the emphasis of that session. And um, yeah, it's a good one. It doesn't it doesn't fully simulate the marathon in the sense that you can still recover off of it, so that you can come back a few days later and do something else. Um, but it's it's essentially as good as you're going to get that we've we've had in our build up um, as far as not fully you know, not fully destroying you like a full marathon is going to. And how many weeks out from a Houston did you do that session? We did that three weeks out. Yeah. And that so was that, that probably was, that your was last long our run? last big effort. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And in those sun say those long runs, what like because our for for me training for la- for marathon, I I always do Sundays my long run. And that's in my plan. Yeah. So it's building up, you know, Probably up to about thirty-five k, I think it will it will be. Um, so, how far would your longest run be? The longest one we did, and we only did this once, was the full distance, so like 42, 43k. But um, we did it in, I think it was like two hours forty-five. So we weren't, we didn't have any real structure to it. It was more so just go out and run for two hours and forty-five minutes. Yeah. Um, and like I said, we just did that once. Otherwise, we, we keep our long runs at two and a half hours and we usually cover around, you know, somewhere between 35 to 37K, I would okay. say, in those. Um, but no, I liked the structure of ours. Like we, we essentially did, um, like our weekly structure was Tuesday, Friday sessions and then Sunday long run. But we essentially alternated hard and I don't want to say light days, but hard and medium days. So if the Tuesday session was hard, the Friday session would be a little bit lighter and the Sunday we'd have a long run workout. Whereas the following week, the Tuesday would be a bit lighter, Friday would be the big session and then Sunday would just be a long run for time sort of thing. So um, rather than just having a – because, you know, then you can – for me personally, we found that I can't necessarily – do the high intensity back to back all the time. So mm-hmm. if we just had the same weekly structure, you'd have days where you're having a big long run session on Sunday and then coming back two days later and having a big session on Tuesday. Do you do double run days? Yep. Yeah. So um, that was another big thing that was different for me um, in this one. You like, I feel like the usual mindset with the marathon is you just want to run as much as you can. Whereas we kind of went back to, like I said, back to basics in the sense that we kept the sessions very marathon-focused, 
but the recovery days, we just said, what would you do to recover when you were training for a five carat ten k? And so for me, that was an hour in the morning and thirty minutes in the evening, rather than trying to get a lot of the, you know, what people call junk miles mm-hmm. in. Um, for me, we found that I was able to get what I needed for the marathon in through the sessions and then the recovery days was just focusing on keeping me healthy and, yeah, just, you know, making sure I was recovered for the next big one. And how many Ks roughly do you do a week in that sort of – that? that um, between 160 and 170 that we're getting <laughs> up to. So, like I said, as far as marathon goes, nothing – not crazy, like fairly low mileage um, for a male marathoner, I think. But, um, but yeah, we just put – like fifty percent or more of the mileage or the Ks would have come out of three days of the week, mm. sort of thing, and then the other fifty percent came from the other four. Are you needing? Sorry, I'm you know, prying. Are you needing to work as well? To um, or can you? Are you a full time athlete now? Full time athlete, yeah. So mm. very, very fortunate. Pim has Pim has been great um, in giving giving both my wife and I the opportunity to be full time athletes, so we can make this our our job and, and do what we need to do. So, um, yeah, that's that's been huge because I, I have a lot of respect for people who are doing the training that we're doing and then having to go home and work a, even a part-time job, let alone a full-time job. Um, like Liam Adams, we so, had him on the podcast and he's uh, – is he yeah. full-time sparking? He's on the tools, yeah. He's yeah. out in the yeah, sun yeah. all day. Like, oh, I don't know how he does it. Yeah, It's crazy because, like, I, I know I just love being able to come home and, sit on the couch for a little while chill out or even if it's not sitting on the couch like being able to take care of the Recover. other shit that life has you know yeah um yeah so it's um because it, it can be something where if you do it right it can be a full-time job it just it doesn't seem like it because it looks very different to a to a lot of day-to-day jobs but um yeah it's it's one of those ones where when when you tr- when you're doing everything you need to be doing it can look like that and so people who have to work as well, sometimes don't don't quite get the same opportunities that we get to to get those recovery tools in and whatnot, yeah. which um, you know makes it even more impressive when you have guys like Liam go out and run two hundred eight forty odd at the Gold Coast like that. That's just insane. Yeah, so you're you're um, sponsored by Puma. Talk us through the um, the shoes you're wearing, like the what do you race in the marathon? Yeah, so I raced in the uh, they're called the Fast R twos. They're, they're, I think, when did they get released? I think they got released in December, maybe. But yeah, they, they are, they're a very good flat, you know, like uh, I'm not going to, not going to pretend that I I was, you know, that I didn't have good shoes on my feet while I was running that. Like that's, that's a large part of why I was able to do what I, what I did was because um, they've put a lot of effort into those and they think, you know, they. I think they've looked at what other companies have done and not only tried to match it, but tried to do some things a little different as well. And this this shoe's definitely paid off in that sense. So, um, no, very happy with what they've come out with. Um, I think their most recent line of shoes in general. It's it's definitely, you know, I think they've come a long way uh, in the in the three years or so that they've reintroduced themselves to the running world and now they've got a line of shoes that matches a lot of a lot of big companies out there which is great is that carbon has it got a carbon plate in it or have they steered away from that yeah so it's got a carbon plate which is great but it's um the part that they've done a little differently i think is they've they've kind of separated the plate in the forefoot 
So it, um, it's got a little kind of gap between essentially where the, you know, the bone under your forefoot and your big foot uh, in the big toe kind of area. So there's a little yep. gap there, which which works for my foot great. And I know um, talking to Jen Gregson about it, she she loves that concept of it as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's slightly different from what you'd see in a Nike or an Adidas um, flat, but I think what they've come up with is is now starting starting to rival what's out there. So is the fu- they do a, like a fast R, don't they? And then they do a fast forward night. Train. Yeah. So the so the fast the fast R is like your marathon, you know, ten k up essentially. Yeah. Um, and so they had a f- initial model that only had. I think the difference is the foam between the first model and the second model of the fast art. Like the second model has the nitro elite foam in both the forefoot and the rear foot, yeah. which is which is a really big improvement and you and you notice that. But the fast forward is a I think it's more of a five K even road mile sort of shoe because it's Heavy got that slant there. in the yeah. forefoot there. Um yeah, so it's it's kind of a more uh, event specific kind of shoe i think whereas the, the fast r is definitely one that you can use for kind of any any road race you're doing mm. is that the one that oh it's a bit bright you sort of oh, yeah so that's the that's the original that's the fast r one and then yep. the fast r two the ones you that are probably out there are uh, i think they're a lime green with a with a bit of a purple flare to them shit they look cool eh yeah, yeah, they're not bad. They're not bad looking. Should we talk about the one five nine project? Yeah, yeah. Might as Absolutely. well, hey. I should I have mean, put my one fifty nine T shirt on. I'm lucky enough to <laughs> my brother sent me a one fifty nine T shirt. It's like yeah. we, talked to, we talked to Jack Rayner about this and he said, Oh man, it was just such an amazing experience. But he didn't really get to see too much of Kipchoge. Did you get to sort of see much of him? No, no, I think I uh I think I maybe managed to uh to touch his head when he finished, but that, that would have been about it. But um no, he um yeah, we didn't really see him much. We saw him very briefly in a like almost like a technical meeting a couple of days out from, from the event where he came in and he, he introduced himself. But uh mate, he was an A list celebrity at that thing. Yeah. Like they, they had they had people bringing him in and then you know, if it was almost, you almost felt like it was a, it was gonna be a risk on your life sort of thing if you tried to tried to go and say hi to him. There were there were there was a good little security group around him. So no, it was um, it was a very unique event in the sense that we didn't see much of him, but uh, it was a very relaxed environment at a hotel uh, for for essentially a meet, which is usually not the case. Like you you came downstairs and usually guys you're competing against you're just kind of chilling out and having a coffee or, or eating a meal with them and, and stuff like that. And it was, uh, it was kind of a great opportunity to, to get to know a lot of athletes on a, on a bit more of a personal level that you wouldn't usually have the opportunity to do because you're, you're not competing with them. Like we all had the same, it was just a big training camp kind of thing. Um, so yeah. And, and everyone was pretty much done with their season. So everyone was just there to, to kind of wrap it up and um no it was it was cool you, you almost forgot that the thing was based around Elliot until until the day when he when he walked out to the to the start line and you thought oh yeah this is the guy that 
this is kind of the king, you know. We're getting to see him again for the for the second time we've been here. So, but yeah, it was it was cool. The way they did it was, um, yeah, it was very unique. And I think they they ultimately, you know, they achieved what they tried, what they were trying to achieve. So it was it was a really cool thing to be a part of. Did you run twice on that day, or just the once? Yeah, I did two. I did two five k legs. Um, yeah, it was um, it, it was good. I've, I've actually felt really good. I was, you know, I was kind of hoping I might be able to snag one of the. There was, I think, there was a couple of guys who were maybe running ten k legs. I thought, oh, maybe I'll be able to snag one of the ten k's and get myself a little, get myself a little PB here on the roads or something. But um, but no, I got got two five k legs, and um, you know, it's it was for the best, I think, because I did it did it comfortably, which is what they brought us all there to do. You know, they wanted us to be comfortable and relaxed throughout the whole thing so that he's running behind comfortable, relaxed people. So, you know, they did a great job of, of you know, scheduling us out and we had to practice the, you know, sliding out and coming in and, and whatnot. We did that a couple of days before as well. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a... It was a crazy event to be a part of, but they 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 pulled it off, and um, you know ultimately it's it's a uh, it's definitely a bit of a talking point around the world now. Piece of history. No, it was good. To, it's surprising how long ago it was. Now was it four years ago? I think it was his. Uh, yeah, twenty nineteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was October twenty nineteen. Yeah, because then I came, I went back and started training for Zatopec. Yeah, right after it. So yeah, yeah, it was it was a while ago. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't I'm not going to say it seems like it was yesterday, but it, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Mm. And yeah. it's so cool watching watching the live stream. I think every we're from Brisbane. I think every like runner in Brisbane was watching live <laughs> on YouTube. I had it going yeah, on the YouTube, TV. It? It so cool. There's a lot more publicity around this one than the around that one than the first one they did. I think mm. the first one was 2017, and I remember uh, Collis. Birmingham was a part of that one. Um, but I was like, I think I was racing like the same, like during it or something like that. Like I, I didn't really know what was going on. And then the announcer at my race said something about it during our race sort of thing. So, um, but no, this one I was, it was crazy. Like I had, I had people from high school who I like knew, but like we weren't really like, you know, those people who you, you know, well, you know, but, you weren't really mates with them sort of thing. Like they were, they were reaching out to me on, on yeah, whatever it was, probably Facebook or something like that saying how it was cool to, to see me during this thing. I was like, that's, that's crazy that you tuned into that. Everyone was watching. Eh? I had people that I know who are not interested in running at all messaging me about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Really cool thing. Was that the first time you saw the alpha flies? You guys were all wearing just vapors, but he had the, yeah, alpha's on. Yeah, because we we all got um I actually so we all got the pink ones because they wanted us to be in a uniform. My my shoes were actually half a size too small. Oh no! I got my size right. So, <laughs> so I was I was lucky I didn't end up with a bloody uh, bloody foot injury or something. But um yeah, that was because I think they were the prototype. Because I think if you look back at it, I think they might have been a little over what the limit is now so oh, i think they actually reduced the stack height for the shoe that they released later but yeah that was that was kind of the first look we'd seen of the yeah the alpha flies because 
I think the dragonflies we'd seen a month earlier, they'd been trying those out at the World Championships in Doha. Um, so, yeah, so that timing sounds about right. Oh, mate, what's uh, – obviously you've got the Olympics, hopefully, fingers crossed. Yep. But have you got anything else in the near future? Um, I want to try and run uh, – I'd like to run World Cross. Um, that's at the end of at the end of March. So yes, I've put my put my nomination in for that. So hopefully, I'll hear about that probably early early March. I would say. Where's so, that this year? It's in uh, Belgrade in Serbia. So oh, um, I've got to make sure that Serbia is not a not a targeted country right now um, yeah. before doing that. Yeah. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so um, but no, so World Cross definitely. Um, I would like to run that, and then uh, I don't know. We've we've talked about the idea of maybe running a, a quicker ten k in early May, um, just before we start the marathon build, because that's kind of another thing that a lot of people say is you you'd ideally be in your best ten k shape right before you start your build. Um, so yeah, so we're we're thinking about doing that, which is which which would be fun, you know. I think it's I'm in a unique position now where I can kind of relax a bit and the results from races don't necessarily have to go a certain way. Like I can run a bit freer and schedule the, uh, more reckless schedule the races. What was that? You could be a bit more reckless. (laughs) Yeah. But not, not ignore those senses. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, there's just, there's just not essentially, there's not pressure to run a, a certain time in any of these races. So, I can I can kind of train for them and we can go in and, and just kind of see what happens, which is nice, and, and put myself in a few races. And, and like I said, if something doesn't go to plan, it's not, not the end of the world. Um, but, yeah, but the focus for me is more so I, I just want to make sure that by early May, you know, right before we start start the marathon build, I want to just make sure I've got there healthy in one piece and, um, and I'm essentially ready to, to tackle um, – you know, whatever whatever we have in store for those twelve to fourteen weeks leading up to Paris. Unreal. Have you ever had any major injuries? Yeah, last year was rough. I had a um I started last year with a stress reaction in my sacrum, which was pretty rough. Um and then that essentially just I don't know, it was just kind of a bit of a domino effect. Like um I, I, my first race in this little Houston build-up was uh, the Boston half marathon in November, and that was my first race in 13 months because I just had injury after injury. So yeah, so it, last year was last year was a rough year. Like I, I didn't really, I, I had something else pop up in early July which kept me out of world champs, um, and we essentially just had to sit down and be like, look, let's just kind of see what's going on, what's maybe changed over the last couple of years that's setting all these things off and let's you know just kind of go back to basics figure out who you are as an athlete and um because i I never really used to get injured like that like i I hadn't had years of where i'd been out for the whole thing because of injuries like i'd maybe had something that kept me out for a, a couple of races but then i was able to get back into it pretty easily so just wasn't um you know I don't think I'm I'm that old to be, you know, just not able to do this anymore. So I I just had to sit down and, and really figure out what what we changed, what wasn't working, and um, 
essentially what had worked for me previously that we maybe needed to touch up on a little bit. No, you say uh, like about your age, you're 29, go, you, 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 now you're in the marathon, you've got years and years ahead of you. That's that's what I mean. That's what I was saying. I was like, I hope this isn't a, <laughs> I hope coming up to 30, that's not my my sort of nah. big injury period because I'd, I'd feel like I've got a lot of years left in me in it. So, um, so yeah, so no, it, it was just, it was just simply a matter of, yeah, looking at what we'd done and realising that maybe we'd introduced a few few things too many at once and, and just, you know, take them one at a time and, and take the steps necessary to get where we want to be. Awesome. Should we wrap it up there? Yeah, I think it's good. You're probably about ready for bed. Into your time. Yeah. <laughs> what time is it over there? About eight something? Uh, it's got to be a bit after eight now, I think. Yeah, maybe right around eight. Awesome, mate. We just did um park run over here, and it was like, well, it's thirty degrees, in, yeah, thirty degrees, and like ninety-one percent humidity or something. Like, it's yeah, meant to I'm hit thirty-six today, that. but I think we've crazy heat. Yeah, look at my just... thermometer; it says thirty-six outside. Do they, do they start it earlier on days like that, or it's just nah, seven just o'clock? What it is. Yeah, okay. Seven o'clock. I guess they can't really start much earlier than seven, can they? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. It's still just as hot. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it is over here in the summer. Like you just can't escape. Like humidity is just humidity. That's not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, thanks, Pat, for um for coming on. Blows me away that we just get to be able to have these conversations with these elite athletes like yourself. Yeah, very privileged. Um, Thank you, mate. Yeah, really no, no, no worries. Thanks for having me, fellas. Always good to always good to chat. Yeah, mate. Good luck at the. Uh, well, we won't jinx it, but the future races. We've, we've got our fingers crossed for you. No I'm worries. sure you've made it. Yeah, we look forward no, to I seeing it. you. Appreciate it. Seeing you in the Aussie kit and start of the uh, um, Paris Olympics marathon. It'd be great. Yeah. Awesome. No, we'll, uh, yeah. Well. My brother, my brother will be there for a few days, so um, you may well bump into him. I don't know, but he's going. Yeah. For- yeah. No, absolutely if I, if I see him i'll say hi yeah i'll let him know i always keep me up to date so i'll just when we had jack on i said oh we just had jack on a podcast so i'll uh when this goes when we upload this i'll uh, send him the link to it so, yeah 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 no absolutely right awesome oh thanks again pat thanks, and uh good luck with everything in the future we'll uh, hopefully stay in touch and maybe catch up when you're back in if you're ever in Queensland, be nice to go for uh, be like a full on hundred percent effort for us to run with one of your on one of your easy runs. But you never know. <laughs> you know, I'll uh, I'll try and I'll try and get to a park run or something next time I'm back. I gotta gotta get out and see what they're all about. Yeah, you get the record. Cool. You can, you can just come and get the uh, get yeah, the record or something. Jog around and smash the course record. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be what i'm really taking for I'll, I'll you know the olympics will just be a little primer for the uh for park the park run. Run. toowoomba yeah, park yeah. run yeah it, it'll be the it'll be the big effort three weeks out from the toowoomba park run yeah awesome <laughs> all right good cool all right Easy, mate bro. legend see you soon no worries thanks, thanks for having me appreciate yeah, it
Close your eyes, leave all your troubles behind. Yes, it's fine. Come kick it with me in my imagination. In my imagination. Well, sometimes my mind plays these tricks on me. Sometimes, and I'll find that my mind climbs higher than it should climb. Imagination, I'm contemplating, hesitating on exploiting my mind. Which you find in time, I will find they will shine when they only shine. You can put a time on mine. Show me these purple elephants, a twisted intelligence, extension of tolerance, dimension of flowers in my mind. Mine, 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 mine. 